through their life, through their lips. And so thank you, Mr. Ray. Appreciate you and love you. Um, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 42 and 43 this morning. I'm thankful it's the second service. We can stay here longer. Amen. Only a couple of amens, so it is a rough crowd here. And uh, as I get ready here. And um, Psalm 42 here. Without knowing much about Katie, um, um, this Katie over here, Rascal, um, I'm kidding around, Haskell. Uh, I do know her uncle, Bud, and he is a rascal. Uh, he's an interesting guy, and so we know him, and, and amazing how the world is small, how huh? God brings you people um, into um, your life, and so I'm thankful to God. And what courage you have as a, as a single uh, missionary um, to go around and uh, to speak in churches especially that you don't know and, uh, and people you don't know and, and share your burden for the Lord. So thank you so much for, for doing that. After the service, um, around 3 o'clock when I get done, we're going to um, look at, um, we're going to actually go to Culver's if some of you guys want to come with us and join us for that. Uh, we're going to go there and we're going to uh, talk more to Katie and get to know her a little bit more. You can ask her anything you want to know about her, uh, her social security number, anything you want to know, and um, we'll, we'll get to know you. A little bit more. There's a medical term out there that's called um, psychogenetic death. A university uh, defined this as give up itis. It's a, it's a true um, thing out there where after a major tragedy, you have people who go through several stages of life. After a major tragedy, they begin with withdrawal. And then after that, there's apathy, and then emotional numbness, and then finally the loss, the will to keep going, and then they die. Um, it, it, it's amazing. You hear stories all the time of, of uh, people who lose their spouses, and few months after that, they too pass on because they've lost the will to go and to continue on. Um, we, we, we've fought a little bit of this in our house. It's called senioritis. You guys know a little bit about senioritis, huh? Where the kid doesn't want to do his homework and he doesn't want to study. Why? Because the kid's going to graduate in a little bit. So he's lost his motivation. I won't say which one it was, but lost his motivation to do homework. I mean, why? I mean, I'm going to graduate in a few months. So why even do this stuff? And why, why continue on? You know, this is interesting. Without the Bible and without God, this group that came together, this was a university in 2018 that came with this term, give it up, itis, give up itis. They said, do you know actually that you can reverse that? Without God, without the Bible, they, they're doing this study of how people can don't have to go from withdrawal to apathy to, to numbness to giving up on life and dying. That in the midst of all that, that they could stop that and they can change that and they can have a will to continue on. How many Christians do we know struggle with this? Something happens in their lives and they start to withdraw. They start to have apathy towards the things of God. They become emotionally numb and they give up on their walk with God. I've seen it too much. 
I remember a lady who they, they wanted children and, and uh, God gave them a baby and the baby was born and the baby died. And uh, she really struggled through that. And she said, wow, why did God take this away from me? I always want this baby and God took it away. And then, and then, and then it happened again the second time and she got pregnant and the baby was born and the baby died. <coughs> second time. She said, the first time I, I, I got through it, the second time... I really wanted nothing to do with God. Stop going to church. Stop praying. Stop. Stopped uh, reading her Bible. Stopped walking with God. We see it. This this same lady years later, she God got a hold of her heart. She started to walk with God and and live for God and and, and serve God. This same lady years later, her dad died, only at fifty nine years old. And her dad was everything to her. And, you know, she would carry a picture of her dad in her Bible. And she'd say, hey, Jeremy, look at this. I open up her Bible. I thought she was showing me a verse. She showed me a picture of her dad, how much she loved her dad and just and, and everything. And, and, and because of that, she's become numb and, and stopped going to church and stopped praying and stopped reading the Bible. Do you think if you just go through it once and it's over, you'll get through it the second time? That's not always true. It happens. We get down in the dumps. Uh, Sunday afternoons, Chuck Swindoll used to say he believed that the Holy Spirit left him. I've been there. Don't write me on Sunday afternoons. I'm not in a good place. Even after a nice Culver's and ice cream. I feel like the Holy Spirit has left me. I sit there on my bed and I'm sucking my thumb and curling up and wishing that life was over. Katie smiles because she knows it's true. You guys, does he really do that? Well, I don't want to go into details. I want you to notice in verse 5 of this psalm and verse 11 of this psalm and verse 5 of Psalm 43 how he mentions the same thing over and over again. I want you to study this with me. Notice in verse 5 he starts off by saying, Why are you in despair, O my soul? The word despair there is the Hebrew word to be brought low. It's, it, it speaks of somebody who wants to give up. They're, dis, they're depressed. They're discouraged. They, they don't want to go on. He was on a high, but now he's on a low. He's been, he's been brought low. He's, he, he's down. He's down in the dumps. We call that somebody who's down in the dumps. He's, he's talking to his soul. He says, how come you're down in the dumps? What's, what's going on? Why are you brought low? And then he says this here in verse 5. Notice this. He says, why are you disturbed within me? Interesting, interesting word there, which means that the soul is making noise. It's loud. It's, it's murmuring. It's, it's groaning. You've been there. You're saying, what, what's wrong with me? Why, why am I so discouraged today? I, I, I don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden you're hearing these, these voices in yourself like saying, you're worthless, you're useless. It's, it's groaning within you. And, and you're disturbed and you're discouraged and, 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 and you just don't want to go on. You say, why does this happen to us so often? Well, we're quick to say in the church, it's because you got sin in your life. And we point at you and say, ah, oh, you're a sinner, that's why. And let me just tell you this. There is nothing more discouraging than sinning. We sin against the God that we love, and of course we get discouraged. But here's what's amazing in these Psalms. Not one mention of sin is there. 
So before we go and we start preaching to people, you're discouraged, you're depressed, you don't want to go on, you got senioritis, you're a sinner. Let's make sure we don't go there. Because even the Lord Jesus, when he was in the garden, it says, he said to the disciples, my soul is deeply troubled within myself. Could you imagine if the disciples looked at him and said, you're in sin. No. So there's times that we go through this. And it's not always sin. So, so, so what is it that, that causes us? Well, I want you to look at a few reasons right here in the Psalms. And then we're going to go into the remedy for this as well. But uh, quickly go with me here. And I want you to look at a couple of things about this, this Psalm that we would know. Now notice here in Psalm 42, before the first verse of the Psalm, you notice that there's very little letters. Why do they do that to us? Yeah, you know, they make us go to the eye doctor because of this thing. That's why I got my giant Bible. Amen. Yeah, you, know, you read better. But, you know, they still got it. Little letters there. You got to read the little letters. Don't skip those little letters. It's going to give you a historical context of the psalm. And in the little letters of Psalm 42, it says that this was written from a choir director. What? The sons of Korah. See that? And so the, the, the Psalm 42 and 43, and, and if you notice in 43, there is no little letters because it's written by the same person. It's all one psalm. And, and, and the sons of Korah, which is interesting, they, they, you remember their father? Do you remember what their father did? Led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, where God got so mad that they were swallowed up. But here's what's amazing, what the Bible says, even though Korah did that, his sons did not die. You know what that tells me? That no matter what the sins of the father, the children can still live for God. Don't blame the parents for everything. Even if they're wicked and do things that are wrong, we can still live for God. And out of gratitude, and out of a heart for God, these sons of Korah, they became gatekeepers in the temple of God, and later on they were worship leaders. Now let me just tell you this. Watch out for worship leaders. Amen. They are some of the most different kind of people you'll ever meet in your life. All right, I say that nicely. Tim's ready to kill me. But worship leaders, you know, there's, there's a click in their minds that's a little different than a normal person. All right, maybe it's all the music that they listen to that goes into their hearts and they got the beat going on. I mean, but these guys are music leaders. These are, these are music worshipers and, they, and they're leading the worship. But they can't right now. The psalmist can't. He's separated from God. If you notice uh, later on in, in the verses here, it tells you where he is. He's, he, he's off into the mountains. He's, he's, he's by the land of Jordan, verse 6. He, he, he's in the peaks. He's, he's about 130 miles from Jerusalem. And that leads us to one of the first reasons why we get down in the dumps. It's because we're separated from, from the person and, and the people of God. Notice this in verse 1. He says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. He's using imagery here and he's, he's looking at the deer that is panting for water. And, and that word pant is very interesting because it's, it's only used elsewhere in Joel chapter 1 where it talks about in a desperate situation. The deer is desperate for water, needs water, going after water, can't find water. 
And yet he's panting for water. And he says this, my soul is panting. I'm, I'm 130 miles away from, from God's sanctuary. My soul is panting to be with God. Watch this. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Verse 2, when shall I come and appear before God? Literally in the Hebrew, that word appear means when shall I come and see the very face of God? I want to be with the people of God. I want to worship God. But I'm separated from his temple. Some people think that they can live without God's people. We can't. And often discouragement comes in when we're separated from God's people and we isolate ourselves and we think that we can handle our lives without God's people. We can't. He's longing to be with God's people. He is, he is longing to be in the very presence of God in the temple. When shall I see the face of God? But there's something that's very interesting about this verse that I never picked up until I studied it this time. This was a music leader. And now the music leader cannot lead music in the temple. So his very purpose for serving God has been taken away from him for a moment. And I tell you, if you want to discourage somebody's soul, take away their purpose for living. Or somebody who is in a dead-end job. Have you been there? And you say, what am I doing this work for? I'm making no difference in life. I got a friend of mine, a good friend of mine that's struggling with this right now. Looking for another job because he feels he's, he's stuck in this dead-end job. Here he is in this, it feels like he's got no purpose. You know, this happens to people who get older in life. And they feel they get a certain age and they're no longer useful for God. If you ever get like that, just remember Chalmer, please. All right? 93 and still going. Praise God. Not everyone who is old is washed up. And yet, the older people, they get to this and they look in the mirror and they say, wow. I remember the couple that got before the mirror. And they look and they say, honey, look at this. I got bags under my eyes. My arms, I got fat under my arms. My legs are wowing. Honey, aren't you going to say anything? Sweetheart, for an old lady, you got some eyesight. <laughs> I mean, be careful with that one. We get older. Is that a bad one, Katie? Don't use that in a second. You get older, you feel useless. And so he, he is separated from the very purpose and, and, and the presence of God. And he, and he feels this, this downcast. Let's notice a couple other things here in the passage. Verse 3. This is another thing that leads to discouragement. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. He's not sleeping. He is physically exhausted. He has been crying and crying and crying. Why? What does it say in the verse? While they say to me in verse 3, all day long, where is your God? I'll tell you what's very discouraging is that we have an unsympathetic, unbelieving world around us. And when we go through problems, they're not there to hug us and help us to continue on. They're there to point their fingers at us and say, you call yourself a Christian. Well, where is your God now? That's a hard thing to hear. When that, that person went into that school and killed children, I read an article where somebody said in the world, where's their prayer in schools now? They're not praying enough. That's why those kids are dead. That's an unsympathetic world. That's the world we live in. 
Let me say this nicely as a pastor. Sometimes church people can be that way. Very unsympathetic. God help us. Somebody comes to you and says, I lost my job, I'm struggling. Well, you're in sin. And start judging and beating each other up. No, we're family. I praise God that doesn't happen here. But it could. we got to be careful. This taunting of unbelievers, this taunting is bothering him. Notice this in verse 3. He can't sleep. His tears have been going on. Notice as we continue on in a, in a couple other verses that, that he's hurting here. Look at verse 10. The shattering of my bones. He says here in verse 10. My adversaries revile me. They're saying things to me. And what are they saying all day long? Where is your God? Where is your God? How is your religion helping you? Where is God when you really need him? They're taunting him. And it hurts. People say, oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yes, they do. They hurt. And in the shattering of my bones, he says, they're, they're reviling me and saying things about me. Are they saying right things? Look at verse 1 of chapter uh, of Psalm 43. It says here, deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust man. They're saying things that are wrong. But they're saying them about me. They're taunting me. They're falsely accusing me. They're saying things that are not right and it hurts and I can't even sleep. He's saying... So another thing that helps us get down in the dumps is when people say things that are mean and they hurt. And we just hear those things in our minds. I'll tell you, it's amazing. You can hear a thousand positive things, but then you hear this one little negative thing and then all of a sudden you're sucking your thumb in your bed. I used to suck my thumb, that's why I say that. Till fifth grade. Took me a while. Right? I don't know why I'm confessing that now. It just came out of it. <laughs> I still have the scars. Both thumbs. How did I get there? Anyway, it's haunt of unbelievers. It hurts. One little word. One little saying. And all of a sudden we want to give up. I'll tell you what else why, why we want to give up. Look at verse 4. This is incredible. In Psalm 42, verse 4, it says, These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. What is he remembering? Look what he remembers. He remembers the very purpose of God, the purpose he had in his life, how things were better in, in, in the past. Memories of better days all, often discourage us. Look at this. For I used to go along with the throng, the throng is the multitude, and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving. Now, don't miss this. When, when the Israelites got together during the festivals and they would go to the temple and they would march, how would they do it? They would do it with a voice of joy and a voice of thanksgiving. There would be praising and singing to God. There would be instruments. Uh-oh, let's be careful here. Because some people believe certain instruments are sinful and other instruments aren't. There would be Don't read Psalm 150 if you think some instruments are uh, sinful. They had all kinds of instruments. And they're singing and they're praising God. And here's a guy 130 miles away from that saying to himself, man, I remember those days. I, I, I remember when I was praising God and leading worship. And, and now I'm not doing that. And, and we often get so discouraged. 2020 was hard. Why? We would watch ball games and nobody's in the crowd. 
And what would we say to ourselves? I remember when Yankee Stadium was packed. And people were going crazy when restaurants you can go to. You can do this. You can do that. I remember all these things. And all of a sudden we get discouraged about things in the past. And I want, to look, I want you to look at one other thing that really discourages us. He says here that I remember these things. And sometimes when we remember that helps us. But, but he, he's discouraged because he's remembering how wonderful it was. But I want you to look at verse 7. Remember how in verse 1 he's longing for water. He's longing. His soul is thirsting for God. Well, God gives him water. But not the water that he was hoping for. Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. If you've ever been there and seen beautiful waterfalls, it's a beautiful sight. It's a calming sight. Here's the difference. Look at this verse. Your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. Instead of him looking at the waterfall, the water's falling on top of him. So here's what he's saying. He's saying this. He's using imagery here. He's saying, yeah, I'm dying. I want, well, I want my soul is thirsting for God. And I'm remembering the sounds of the temple and how the joy and the thanksgiving. But right now, all I'm hearing is the sounds of trials. The overwhelming trials of life that just discourage us. These are the times when we look at God and we say, God, why does life have to be so hard? Why can't it just be easy to serve you? Why can't it just be easy to walk with you? Why does it have to be so hard? He's hearing sounds, but the sounds of trials. And he attributes them to God. These are your breakers and your waves that are on top of me. And so he's struggling. And, and we've been there. And, 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 and this happens to all of us. And we look for cures. We look for ways out of this. Let me, let me share a few ways that the world turns to, to, to help them with this stuff. And even believers in churches do this. Excessive entertainment. Oh, I need a break. I got to watch a movie. Let me just watch a movie, a movie after this, a movie after that. Or video games. I am shocked. I am shocked. People in their 50s and 60s playing video games for 10 hours a day. Nothing wrong with a good video game. 10 hours? They go to that to not think about their lives. Um, eating. By the way, there's donuts downstairs. Eating. <laughs> we get depressed and what do we want to do? Open up that refrigerator. Nothing wrong with a good meal. But you're on your eighth plate. It's time to stop. And we're eating like crazy to get over our, 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 our woes. Some people sleep. Excessive sleep, nap after nap, sleeping all day, taking pills to sleep. Some other ways they, they, they deal with it, and, and I'm not saying this is always wrong. Antidepressants. Let me just tell you something. Do you know that the biggest group of people who take antidepressants in our world right now? Ladies over 60 years old. Did that shock you? They're depressed. 
In 2020, antidepressants increased 20 to 30%. This is serious. People are discouraged. And let me tell you one other way they try to do it, and this breaks my heart. They end their lives. We're hearing more and more of this. Sometimes I just wish, can I just sit down with them for one moment before they do that and say, what are you thinking? I remember one time getting a call from a wife saying, hurry up, go. my husband wants to kill himself, you need to go. I, I, ran, I ran to him, a guy in the church in Argentina, not here. I ran to him, I'd never seen him like that before. It was on a Friday, I'm begging with him, what's wrong, what's going on? And he's pouring his life, and do you know why he wanted to kill himself? Because of his mother-in-law. We make jokes about that, but this actually happens. I told him, you don't need to do this, please. This is not a way out. And I gave him some scripture and tried to help him through it. That was a Friday. And a Monday, I get a call. He's in the hospital. He tried to kill himself. There are people out there ending their lives because they're overwhelmed with life. So what is the cure? What is the remedy? And I'll tell you, if you're thinking about ending your life, what I told this guy, that is the most selfish way to go out. Because you're not thinking about anybody else but yourself. But there is hope. There is hope. I'm going to give you a home remedy. Okay? We got really serious for a moment, but let me give you a home remedy here. If you're ever feeling discouraged at night, and you don't want to get up in the morning, drink three gallons of water. <laughs> and I guarantee you the next day you will wake up with a reason to get out of bed. <laughs> right? That's a home remedy. <clears throat> that doesn't work too well. That's just a relief. That's not a remedy. There's remedies. Let's look at them. This is beautiful. Look at this passage. He tells us three times the remedy. If he just told us once, we're like, oh, we could just skim it over and say, three times we see the remedy. Three times he repeats himself. Three times he says the same thing and that we need to see this morning. Three times in verse 5 we see it. In verse 11 we see it. And in verse 5 of Psalm 43... Here's a guy down in the dumps. Here's a guy separated from the very purpose of God. But three times he tells us to do these things. Look at him. The first thing we need to do is to preach to ourselves. Look at this. In verse 5 he says this. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Who's doing the talking? He's doing the talking, not the soul. He is addressing himself. Instead of listening to his feelings, he is talking to his soul. That's what we need to do. Listen what Martin Lloyd-Jones once says. He says, in the matter of spiritual depression, we, we allow ourselves to talk instead of talking to self. You have to take yourself in the hand. You have to address yourself. You have to preach to yourself. You have to question yourself. This, this self of ours, listen how he describes it. This other man within us has to be handled. Do not listen to him. 
Turn to him, speak to him, condemn him, exhort him, encourage him, rebuke him. And let him know what you know. Instead of listening to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you. How many times do we just sit there and listen to those voices inside of us? We're no good. We're never going to be this. We're never going to be that. And we just get more in the dumps. Stop that. And start talking to your soul. Instead of listening to your soul. We need to take a handle of this. This is not just passive stuff. This is actively getting involved here. Look, at he's saying, why are you down? He's talking to himself. What's going on with your soul? Why are you in the pits? Why are you in the dumps? What's wrong with you? Now, let's be careful. Because sometimes we like to give ourselves pep talks and they're really not biblical pep talks. Like this one. I just tell myself everything's going to be all right. I'm here to tell you, everything may not be all right. You leave a hospital room with somebody sick and you're telling yourself everything's going to be all right and then you get the call and the person dies. Everything not, is not all right. So don't believe that lie. That's a lie. Don't, don't believe the lie that is another one we tell ourselves. I just tell myself I'm going to get through this. That's another lie from the pit of hell. You're looking at the wrong person. You're looking at the wrong solution. I just tell myself I'm stronger than that. I can handle this. No, you're not. You and I are weak. So what does he tell himself right here in the passage? He looks at his soul. He talks to his soul and he says this. Soul, why are you in despair? Why are you disturbed within me, soul? Verse 5, what does he say? Hope in who? God. He looks at his soul, he tells his soul, you ought to put your hope not in this sinful world, not in ourselves, not in our ability to get through things. We ought to put our hope in the only place our hope ever deserves to be, in God. The word hope is the word for anticipation. It means we are anticipating help, even when help seems far off. We are anticipating God to intervene. And I'm here to tell you, He will in His timing. He is hoping in God. He is hoping in the God of the universe. Now, here's what's amazing. He calls God all kinds of different things in these Psalms. Did you see it as Bob was reading it? It took him an hour and a half to read it, but it was good. Did you see it when he's reading it? I love when Bob reads. Watch this. Go with me real quick. Verse 2. Look what he calls God in verse 2. He says this, My soul thirsts for God, for the what? The living God. He is a God that is alive. He's a God that gives life. He's the only God that gives life. Everything else is an idol. He is the living God, the source of life, the one that will give me life. Look at verse 9. He says, I will say to God, my what? My rock. Look what he calls him. He's my stability, my refuge, my security. I'm putting my hope in this God. Notice if that wasn't enough, look at verse 2 in, verse, in Psalm 43. He says, you are the God of my what? Strength. I'm weak. You're strong. You're the God of my strength. 
He, he gives attributes to God. Look at verse 3. Oh, send out your light and your truth. You're the God who guides me. And you're the God who will never lead me astray. Look what else he calls them here. This is, this is amazing. In verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding what? Joy. What is your source of joy this morning? Let me tell you what a lot of people around here, their source of joy has been lately. The Broncos. They're always excited before the season begins. And then once the season, they realize the reality of the Broncos, that they're never going to win, they're never going to win again. And so then all of a sudden, their joy goes away. I love telling this. In these, like, I can boast. My teams never win either. But the joy that happens, exceeding joy is his God, his source of joy. When he says hope in God, he's talking about the very person of God. Who is he? He's the living God. He's the rock. He's the strength. He's the light, the truth. He's, he's my exceeding joy. But don't miss this. Look at this. In verse 4, he says at the end of it, I shall praise you, O God. And don't miss these next two words. My God. Do you know why people can't get through it? Because they miss the little word, my. He's just a God out there. No, he's the God out there who wants a personal relationship with you. He's my God. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, was buried and rose again, and we put our trust alone in him. He's my God. And so he says, hope in God. Put your trust in who God is. Tell your soul what you know about God. And he doesn't stop there. But we need to stop because we got to get the culvers. But look at this here in verse 5. Hope in God. Don't miss this. This is beautiful. For I shall again what? Praise him. He's anticipating the future. But don't miss this little phrase. This blew me away when I was studying this. For the help of his presence. Literally in the Hebrew, he's saying this. I'm going to praise him because I'm going to go see his face. Somebody says, when is this going to end? When is this trial and depression, discouragement going to end? You know when it's going to really end? Is when you see his face. Until then, we'll struggle. In fact, the Bible says, Blessed are those who cry, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, who weep, who cry, because one day they'll be comforted. And I believe that comfort is, is when we stand before Him and He just wipes those tears right away. In this world, we will have trouble. But be of good cheer, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. The psalmist says, my hope is in him. I'm going to praise him and I'm going to see his face. If that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. As we battle through this life and we go through different things in this life, let us tell our souls what's true. We have the living God on our side. We have our rock, our strength. We have the one who sends his loving kindness out in the morning and he turns our 
pain into praise. We have the one that we can pray to because he's the living God. And we have the one that one day will see his face. You know, sometimes we sing songs and we don't even study what the songs are about. You know, it is well. Have you ever read some of the history of how that song started? It says here that one of the guys that helped with that was he was a supporter of D.L. Moody and, and a fire came in Chicago and the fire came into Chicago, the big Chicago fire. It burned his business and it killed one of his sons. I remember a pastor I knew in Argentina where a six-year-old daughter died in a fire. And what does this guy do? He continues on and as he continues on, his business gets better and he sends his wife and his four children on a vacation to Europe. And as they're going on a vacation to Europe, the ship wrecks and what happens? His four daughters die. His wife survives. What does this guy do? He doesn't give up on God. He writes, it is well with my soul. You say, how in the world can he do that? Well, let's look at the last verse before we go here. Verse 8. Here's why. Because it says this, The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. Every day of our lives we can be assured of one thing, the chesed of God, the love of God, the loyal love of God that never goes away. But look what he says here in verse 8. His song will be with me in the night. God will change my pain into a song of praise. Only God can do that. And then he says this, a prayer to the God of my life. You see, when we're talking to our souls, when we're hoping in God, and we're focusing on what is to come, He has a way of changing our pain to praise that turns into prayer. Is that where you are? Well, maybe you're letting your soul talk too much. And you need to start talking to your soul. Maybe your hope is in something that is only a relief rather than in the living God. Maybe your focus is only on what is now rather than what is to be. So let's think through this and let God change our pain into praise. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank each one for their patience this morning. It's been a longer day than usual. I thank you so much for these beautiful psalms. And I, Lord, fumble through them and don't do them justice like you can, Lord. I pray that you use the feeble words of my mouth to encourage hearts here this morning. All of us struggle with discouragement. All of us, Lord, deal with the blues. And if we're honest with you this morning, all of us listen to our souls too much rather than talking back at them, preaching to them, telling them what we know rather than worrying about what we feel. So God, I pray right now, I don't know what everyone's going through right here this morning. I know a few things, but I don't know, Lord, like you do. That right now in their hearts they say, Lord, I don't want to listen to my soul. I want to, I want to tell my soul what is true. I, I want to put my hope in you. 
Not in these false things that everything's going to be all right or in these false statements that we say to ourselves, but our true hope in you. Help us, Lord, to do that. And then, Lord, I ask you to help us to focus on one day being in your presence because it will be worth it all when we see Christ. One look on his dear face, all sorrow he'll erase. So help us to bravely run the race till we see Christ. We thank you so much for these wonderful psalms. We praise you and love you and we pray in his name and for his glory. Amen.